We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Through the life of Saul and, and David and even Jonathan, and uh, their epic lessons, I think, for us all, and so we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Notice what it says here in verse 1. It says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. And so, it's crazy, huh? Now it's out in the open. You know, prior to this, Saul did attempt to spear David a couple of times. Remember we read earlier, but... Uh, maybe he blamed it on the distressing spirit. Um, prior to this, Saul was uh, kind of hoping in his heart that when David would go out to battle, the Philistines would kill him. Um, but he wasn't really open and public about it. But, you know, now we see that he is. And so he tells Jonathan, his son, and the servants that they should kill David. He doesn't say why. He just wants him to die, Right. And, and in studying the story here, we know the reason is Saul is uh, jealous, he's envious, he's furious, he sees David as a threat, and therefore Saul now becomes murderous. And this is a crazy thing. As we go through our study today, we're going to see um, that, you know, for, for someone to be influenced by the devil in such a way that they would target the apple of God's eye. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels here, I think, for us when we see Saul trying to kill David. I even think of how the Arab world today wants to wipe Israel off the face of the map. You know, there's this parallels here. We're going to see David was the deliverer, and David would be the one that would make a difference in Israel. Therefore, the devil loves to target such individuals. Some of you here might be targets of the devil because you're sold out and surrendered and completely committed to God, and that's why you're going through the things that you're going through. And although we see that Saul didn't take his life, we do see that Saul affected his life. And, you know, you're not going to die until God says so, so you don't have to worry about that. We're going to see that in David's life. But, you know, a lot of things happen to those who really... Seek the Lord, really anointed, really appointed by God. David was one of those guys. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, the hope of Israel lay in the heart and ministry of David, and yet Saul wanted to kill him. David would conquer Israel's enemies and consolidate the kingdom. He would gather much of the wealth used to build the temple, and he would write psalms for the Levites to sing in praising God. He would design the musical instruments they played. God's covenant was with David, and he would keep the light shining in Jerusalem during the dark days of the nation's decline. And the fulfillment of that covenant would bring Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the world. And so it's no wonder Satan was so determined to kill David. And it just, you know, now it's, he steps it up. It's not private, it's public. He says, Jonathan, servant, hey, can you kill this guy, Right. But notice what we read next. It says, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please, be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. 
And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And he said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? And so Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Again, Saul wants to kill David, but Saul's son, Jonathan, loves David dearly. We read right here, it says in verse 1, Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. We read earlier in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4, that Jonathan loved David as himself. We studied that last week that Jonathan and David had made a covenant with each other. And here we read that Jonathan delighted greatly in David. We know that these guys were uh, guys that had a lot in common, faithful fighters for the Lord, brave brethren, right? We see believers for the Lord. And so when he gets the you know instruction from his father to kill David, he goes, of course, and warns him and tries to reason with his father. And what he does is he tells David here, stay here for a while, let me see if I can talk some sense into my father, and then what I observe I will tell you. We read that there in verse 3. And you know, again, we've touched on this, but I just want to continue to just bring it up, just the humility, the obedience of Jonathan, the, the one who would have made a great king himself, but so humbly, you know, just saying, Lord, your will be done not mine. What a contrast between Saul and Jonathan. Saul didn't care about the, the Lord. He didn't care about the people of the Lord. Saul only cared about himself. But Jonathan was just so consumed with God and God's people. And he himself came last. And so he goes to bat for David. And, you know, one of the things that's cool, whenever you're trying to, let's just say you see someone who's, who's doing the wrong thing. You know, what's your what's your strategy towards them? What, how does your counsel work? I mean, you know, a lot of times I think we'll go in and we see somebody maybe making the wrong decision and going the wrong way. And a lot of times I think we're, we'll get a little bit too psychological. A lot of times I think we'll get a little bit, you know, even, you know, carnal. But I love the way that Jonathan just gets spiritual about this whole thing. And ultimately he says, you know, why would you sin? Father, why would you sin? David has not sinned. Father, why would you sin? And I, and I just love that because that's where our counsel needs to be. Not my personal convictions or not the psychology I heard from whoever it is I read a book on or watched a TV show on or whatever it is that you've experienced in life. I mean, experiences only go so far. No, you give them the word and you say, this is what the word says and, and why, please don't sin. Please. And I love that Jonathan's approach. You know, he gave that, that warning there in verse 5 at the end, why then would you sin against innocent blood? That's a heavy warning. 
And again, this is always the primary issue. It's a matter of what's right in God's sight, not yours or mine or his or hers, but God's. And that's why it's important for us to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him, right? And then we read that in Psalm 119, verse 11. Here we see that Jonathan also touches on David's loyalty and David's victory. He shares words of wisdom. In the end, it ended up being one of those moments. And you guys that are familiar with the story of Saul, you know, one of those moments when Saul sees and agrees to do what's right. You know, we read that in verse 6, that he heeded, it says, the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. You know, and I don't know about you. I know some people are real uh, skeptics, and that's cool. It's it's good to be a skeptic. You know, I tend to be sometimes maybe on the other end of the, the spectrum. I'm real gullible, you know, and I'll believe, you know, when people say things. But I, I don't know. My angle on this is I think that Saul was sincere. There were other times where, you know, David would kind of, you know, Saul would be out there chasing him and, you know, David would come and he kind of, you know, you know, in the cave, he cuts off a little corner of Saul's robe and, and then he talks to him and, and he convinces him again, don't kill me. He does that another time when he grabs Saul's spear and jug from his head and, and again, please don't kill me. And those are moments where Saul says, you know what, you're right. I, I need to do the right thing. And I, and I, if you had to, you know, I've had to corner me on this, I would say that he meant it in those moments. Kind of like you and I, we go, we go through that sometimes where we are, are, are nailed with, the, with, with a character flaw or things about our own self that we know are wrong. And then we go before the Lord and we say, Lord, you know what? I, I'm, I'm never going to do this again. You're right. I'm busted. I'm convicted. I'm, I'm just, I want to change. I want to change. And we mean it. But then what ends up happening is we don't really tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, even though we want to do what's right, we, we, we won't do what's right because we can't do what's right on our own strength. And here's one of those moments where Saul says, you know what, I, I, uh, I, I mean it deep down inside. I know it's wrong. I know it's right. And, and really the battle with this king of Israel was not against the Philistines. And it, it wasn't really against David. Really the battle of Saul was with himself. Huh. I mean the pride and the envy, the selfishness, the self-will. The battle to be spiritual and not carnal. These were monsters and giants within himself that he, he kind of wanted to overcome. But because he never really turned to the Lord, he couldn't. He never did. He never did. For years, for 40 years, he never did. And he ended up destroying himself. You know, one of the lessons we learn is that we might have good intentions, and maybe you're here today and you really want to do the right thing, but unless the Lord himself truly teaches you and touches you and actually tames you by his spirit, we're never going to be able to do what's right in his sight. And I think of Romans 7. If Let's go there real quick. Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. This is one of those classic passages 
that I think we can relate to. And he says in verse 15, Romans 7, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice. But what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members. Here it is, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives us the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to who? The Spirit. And I don't know if any of you can relate here, but maybe I'm talking to one or two of you who are still doing drugs, who are still, you know, addicted to pornography. You're still, you know, falling, not just stumbling, but falling, failing, and just defiantly doing so in your, in your marriage or just things that are going on. You are trapped in sin and, and you have those moments where you want to do right and you, and you know you really mean it and maybe you even cry and all those things, but, you know, you're not going to have the power to walk with that consistency and that intimacy with God until you and I, until we really turn to the Lord and we realize it's not my determination, it's my dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And and if you're depending on the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have a prayer life. You're going to be fasting, you're going to be seeking God with all your heart. You know, and so we learn from Saul, I think he was sincere, back in 1 Samuel chapter 19, that whole lesson that we have in Romans chapter 7, that we can't do this on our own strength, even if we want to, even if we're determined to. We can't. We need the power of God, and we need that absolute surrender. We need to raise the white flag and throw in the towel and just say, God, come in. You know, so here we see Saul agrees to be cool, And then we read in verse 8, And there was war again. David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. And then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. We don't know how much time went by. Things are cool uh, for a season. 
until there's more war, which sets things up right again. We read of David's victories over the Philistines. God was with David, so God gave him victory. He was able to not only beat them, but strike them with a mighty blow. And we read right here that the Philistines fled from him. One person said this, David's actions are contrasted with Saul's. Each time there was a war with the Philistines, David had more opportunities for great exploits. Saul himself no longer went to war. He stayed home sulking about David's victories. (laughs) Where should Saul have been, would you say? He should have been out in the battlefield, huh? I think so. There he is kicking it, sitting with a spear in his hand. It's like, dude, who are you going to (laughs) spear? Why do you have a spear in your hand? You're not even a, a soldier anymore, you know? And so, you know, I, I know for sure, and you guys, when you study the, the character of Saul, you know, he would have preferred for his nation, his country to be defeated, his soldiers to, to die, if only David would have died. Huh? That, that would have been Saul's mentality. That's the kind of king he was. But here comes King, you know, David, and, and again, just victoriously. And then and how do they find out? Well, they didn't have video cameras or anything like that. Just the word goes out. Man, David led us to a great victory. There was a mighty blow on the Philistines. They fled before us. And there is Saul, once again, just torn up inside. Huh? Why? Because for Saul, it was all about himself, about his position, about his power and about this young guy that was threatening his throne. And so we see here, it's amazing how someone can hone in and even hate one person. You know, and maybe you're here today and there's just one person that you hate, and you just hone in on them, right? And you can hate them so much that it will destroy who? It'll destroy you. You know, but David doesn't die. He returns, and therefore something else returns, and that is the distressing spirit. We read about it earlier in 1 Samuel 16, 14, and 15. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10, and now the distressing spirit comes back again. Now, the thing about it is I, I wouldn't say the spirit just comes randomly. I would say that Saul summoned the spirit. Didn't he? I think he summoned the spirit when this envy began to stir up inside him again. You see, when war broke out again, David once more distinguished himself and Saul's jealousy was kindled afresh. And so Saul sits on his throne with a spear in his hand. David worships God on his throne with a harp in his hand. And we know that David was a tremendous worshiper of God, right? But... We know we've seen that this doesn't work for Saul anymore. Tragically, it's not enough. Why? Because Saul is now in league with Lucifer. He's a liar and a murderer, just like the devil. And so Saul now tries to pin David to the wall with his spear. And when you think about that, it's just straight out satanic, right? I thought he said he wouldn't kill him anymore. He even swore, we read earlier in verse 6, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. But what was going on here, you guys? Something that I think even we need to be so careful of when a person becomes controlled by the devil. That's what was happening to Saul now. 
Remember Jesus told the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, Saul had vowed, even to the Lord, that he wouldn't try to kill David. But here we see he does just that. He breaks his promise. He's a liar. He's a murderer, just like the devil. He's a picture of Satan. You know, and I'm not saying you guys are Satan, don't get me wrong, you know, but I am saying this, that there are times where Satan can influence you. Remember with Peter? You know, Peter said something really good, and then a split second later, he said something really bad. Jesus said, I'm going to die on the cross. Peter said, not so, Lord. No, it's not going to happen to you. Never. I won't let it happen. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Satan was speaking through a follower of God. You know, we read about Judas. Here's the guy that walked with Jesus for years. He saw the love incarnate. He saw the miracles. He heard the messages. But Satan, it says in the Greek language, hurled it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. You see, he can influence us. And one of the things I've learned in life is I'm no match for Manny. I'm no match for Manny. I I cannot overcome this flesh. And, you know, you guys might be deceived and thinking I'm a good guy. I am not a good guy. I'm telling you straight out, I'm a wretched man. And so are you. No offense. (laughs) And you are no match for yourself. You are no match for yourself. And you are no match for the clutches of the enemy. And I have learned that in life. Saul right here is a perfect example of us, you know, for us to to learn from. How we need to be so careful, the enemy will try to do the same thing with us and work through us. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 and 26, it says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, I don't know where things are in your life and in your family. And prayerfully, man, things are cool in your life. And and my prayer right now for our country and I think I see that things that are going on in the world it is revival in the church. Revival in the church. That I just can't stop getting that out of my heart. And I want men to come to the prayer meetings on Saturday mornings. I want all the men to come and I want to pray. We need to get on our knees and we need to pray. And on Thursday nights, the first Thursday of each month, we end fast, fast. And pray and other days that the Lord will lead you. You know, we really need a revival big time. And and it begins in our own hearts. I don't know how things are in your life, how things are in your family. But one of the things I've learned is that the devil and his darkness and his clutches and his work and his blinders, the way he deceives to such a depth, 
And I don't know if you've ever been there, if, you ever, if the devil's ever come into your home. I don't know if you've ever been there where, man, this is just straight out demonic, where you are not ignorant of his devices, where you know this is the devil. I don't know if you've ever been there, but man, when you're there, it reminds you of this war that we're in. And the war that we're in is a war that requires spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, literally. They're not human. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And it just, man, it brings you to that place of of prayer and desperation and crying out to God because you see the darkness and you see the clutches of the enemy. And that's exactly what's happened with Saul's life. It can range from thoughts, lies, and deeds, even to murder, right? I heard a story recently about a man who, I even I shouldn't even tell you this, he killed his wife and he cooked her. Did you guys hear about that? How can this happen? How can this happen? This is the world that we live in. We live in a world, and what's happened to the church? What's happened to the church? We are being steamrolled in many ways by, by, by Islam. You know, and, and I mean, that happens. It happens in, in a lot of different forms. We know that um, what took place over there in Libya, finally our administration is calling it an act of terrorism. A, li- a little late, right? <laughs> Just to give you an idea of their, their, their you know, lack of smartness, I guess you could say, and the failure of their foreign policy, how they are weakened, they have weakened our country. And again, you know, we got to pray for our leaders and pray for them to get saved you know, but there's this a, a lot of lies. You know, one of the reasons that Islam is, is steamrolling the world, one of the reasons is because they're having a lot of children. Did you know that? That the average Islamic family has eight kids. The average Christian family has 1.7 kids. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, it's just, why? 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 It's because we're so carnal. Carnal, carnal Christians. And we like to blame everybody else. It's his fault. It's his fault. You know what? Start looking in the mirror a little deeper. We have to wake up. We have to pray. We have to fast. We have to have children. You know, we have to, you know, ask God to do a work. But we're living in some crazy times. I was bummed. Uh, and I don't know. I know this is a a, a weird thing, but... um. Uh, Chick-fil-A is going back on their commitment. You know, and again, I don't want to look to Chick-fil-A, you know, to, to heal that whole situation, you know. <laughs> but it just goes to show you the, the times that we're living in. And I don't know if there's, I don't know where you're looking to for the answer, but I, I do encourage you to look first and foremost and, and just with all your heart to Jesus. Really look to him. We're living in some crazy times, you guys. And unless there's a revival in the church, this is the world that we're going to leave to our children, and it's our fault. You see, Saul wanted to kill David, so David fled and he ran as fast as he can. And you read here in First Samuel 19, verse 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. 
And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? You know, I know it's not even the same, but I remember uh, being on the run for a period of time. Have you guys ever had a gang after you? Anybody here? Ever? It's a weird feeling, man. You know, having to watch your back everywhere you go. David had come to that place. It was time to go, obviously. His wife knew it. And so when he goes home, she lets him down through a window in order that David might live. Uh, I wonder why she didn't go with him, but the, the Lord knows. Then she sets it up to look like David sleeping in his bed so that the messengers slash killers would think David was there. And that whole thing, to be honest with you, I think it's kind of funny that that would stop them from killing him. You know, you imagine that you come to kill somebody. Can't right now. He's sick, you know. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but we're going to see, you know, that the Lord, like I told you before, you're protected. A lot of people are afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of dying for two reasons. Number one, when you die as a Christian, you're going to go to heaven. So don't be afraid. Number two, God's not going to let it happen. The devil can, you know, ruin your life in, in, a, in a physical way and in, I guess you could say in a carnal way and in a, in a, in a way that you see things in a limited way. But, but God, you know, will spare your life until the day you're done, until you finish the race. But that kind of stopped them. Or we're going to see another thing that stops them. It's really funny. But anyways, you know, they say, Kari, we can't kill him right now. He's sick. And so they tell Saul, who says, so what? Bring him to me in his bed so that I can kill him. And they then find out it wasn't David. He had gotten away. And David's wife, Michal, lies to say that David forced her to help him, and that he had threatened her to kill her if she didn't. So we read in verse 18, So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Uh, William MacDonald said, Men of God go to other men of God in times of trouble. That's cool, huh? And it's true. You guys, if you're here tonight, and of course, we know first we go to the throne before the phone, right? First we go to the Lord. But, but then I pray that you would have a godly man that you can counsel with. Like we read earlier, Jonathan and David, such a neat relationship. David now has Samuel in one sense, you know, like a spiritual father that he can counsel with. And it's kind of funny. You thought David being sick was a funny way to protect David. Here's even something more miraculous. In verse 19, now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. 
Then Saul sent messages again the third time, and they prophesied also. And then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well, that is, Sechu. And so he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And so he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets? <laughs> this is weird, huh? It seems kind of strange. You know, Saul finds out where David is, and so he sends a team after him. And when they get there, Samuel with a group of prophets are there prophesying, and team, ends, team one ends up doing the same. <laughs> they also begin to prophesy, you know, and that's speaking under the inspiration of God. It's foretelling or forthtelling God's word, right? Praising the name of the Lord. And so Saul finds out about this and he sends another team, team two, and they end up doing the same thing again. And then team three does the same thing until finally Saul says, I'm going to get down there, right? And you figure, well, Saul won't prophesy, right? But what ends up happening is Saul goes down there and lo and behold, the same thing happens to him. He even strips off his clothes in like manner laying down naked all that night. And what that means, not literally naked, the Hebrew word can mean you know, totally or partially naked, and more than likely it meant that he took off his robe and he was there in his tunic all night. Think about that prophesying. And that's how God protected David. Now the interesting thing, we, we're not going to get there, but chapter 20, verse 1 says, Then David left. Now if you were David, if you were there, and, um, and, you know, the team one comes after you, wouldn't you leave? But then team two comes after you, team three comes after you, then you hear Saul's coming after you, David's still there. And so two things are happening, right? I, I, and, I, and I wonder about this, and again, I can't be dogmatic, but think for a second, why did this happen? Why did the, the messengers of Saul, when they came, why did they prophesy? Team one, team two, team three. Then Saul comes and he prophesies. Why? Why did God protect him like that? I mean, if you think about it, you know, and this is ultimately, yes, God protecting David. I mean, God could have just killed Saul, right? I mean, how hard would it be for God to swat a gnat? I mean, how hard would it be for God to kill Saul? I mean, he could have protected David like that, but but he didn't, right? And there's two things going on. I think one is God is reaching out to Saul. And I know that's hard to believe because we, you know, we don't have that much grace. But that's, you know, God's... You know, allowing this man to come and speak the word and prophesy and experience the power of the Holy Spirit just overcoming his life. God is is reaching out to, to Saul. Unfortunately, he wouldn't listen. And maybe you're here today and you need to know this, that God loves you, that God is reaching out to you. But you've got to change your life. You've got to surrender your life. You've got to stop fighting for your own rights or whatever it is, whoever it is that you're against and you hate or whatever it is. You've got to stop or it will destroy you. You know, the funny thing is at the end of Saul's life, the Philistines kill him. And the one man, the one man who could have saved him, 
he had driven away. See, that's the way it is when you begin to get envious and furious and you're threatened by someone else. We can't do that. Here we see the Lord, I believe, reaching out to Saul. And I also believe the Lord teaching David. Before David would now go and for 10 years, he would be in a tremendous trial in the caves, just on the run. He would be taught by God, I will always protect you. I will always protect you, just like I did. And you saw that weird thing happen right there. I will always protect you. And that's good for us to know, you guys, because we go through life and things happen to us. And we got to know that it has been allowed by the Lord for his purposes. Why would David be on the run for 10 more years? You know, in all honesty, if we were to sum up the situation and we saw David and the way he would win his military victories, he's already playing the harp. And, you know, we would think, well, he's ready. He's ready. But God knew he's not really ready. He's not ready yet. Because I want to make him not just a king. I want to make him a great king. I want to make him a picture of Jesus Christ. And so what, what would happen now? For 10 years, he would be traveling the caves and living in adversity, living in tribulation, because God would be molding him into a man of character. What you find, you guys, is through, through these hard times, we actually find ourselves revealed. The adversity introduces a man to himself. But also adversity is the stuff that God uses to make real men. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to go through. And I'll be honest with you, I hate, I shouldn't say this, trials hurt, don't they? They hurt so deep. They hurt. But they're good for you. And I always tell the Lord, I say, Lord, I don't need trials. You know, I always tell the Lord, I'm I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm praying every day. And honestly, Lord, I'm seeking you with all my heart, Lord. You know I am. You know I am, Lord. But the Lord says, sorry, son, it's just not enough. If you really want to see character and qualities of Christ formed within your life, those trials that you're going through, they are absolutely necessary. But the thing is, is that when you go through those trials, you've got to run to the Lord. You've got to. You've got to run to the Lord. You've got to, like James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing, there it is, the The revealing and refining of your faith produces patience. So even though we we just don't like the pain, and how many of you can say amen to that, you know, we got to know in the end that it's good for us. But we got to keep our eyes on the Lord because God is going to do a great work. Now, did God tell David, this is why you're going into the caves? Did God tell David why? No, (laughs) he didn't tell him, right? One guy said this, For God to explain a trial would be to destroy its purpose. 
calling forth simple faith and implicit obedience. God might not explain to you why you're going through what you're going through, but he does want to bring out simple faith and just simple obedience, right? Because we don't live on explanations. We live on promises, right? And God's making you into his image. Embrace the trials. Don't just face them, but make sure you run to the Lord. We need to be aware of satanic opposition, you guys. We are in a battle. But we also need to be aware of the divine protection that we have. We need to hate sin. That's the reason why we do what we do. And that's the counsel we should give. You know, hate sin. But we need to be sincere. And even know that that sincerity, I, I won't do it, Lord. That sin- even that sincerity is not enough. There has to be a full surrender in our life. I thank God that we have a God who reaches out to us even though we fail like Saul did. And I pray that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you've drifted away, that today would be the day you give your heart to him. But I pray that we would also know that God teaches us things, and that is this, that there is purpose in our pain. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your word, Lord, and now as David goes on the run for 10 years, I can't make it. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.